3, Deacon Jan Kowalczyk. Thank you, Pastor Agent, and good afternoon, everyone. I hope that you all have a great and wonderful week. And I know today is uh, kind of like a chilly day for a late last Sabbath of February. Today is the, last, the fifth and the last Sabbath and the last day of this month. And starting tomorrow, will be in March. Part three. You are awake? Because I know we're dragging out the series for so long and, and you were probably thinking like, what it's possibly can Jen do now in part three? But I can promise this is the last part. I hope it's the last one, but I can promise you that. But let's just see. Let's do first a little bit of review. And I forgot to say hello to everyone who is watching us online. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending this time with us here in Canada on a cold Sabbath day. And welcome to join us also next week. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We turn to the scripture so many times, probably five or six times, and we'll do it one more time here today. Deuteronomy chapter 7. But this time, starts from verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and just read verse 6. And here in verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, God says, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people of the, on the face of the earth. And verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in numbers than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this is the reasons. God is doing all of these things. But now just go back to verse 1, the same chapter. God is just reminding them the purpose, why they exist, why they are here. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. Before we come to actually verse 7, read verse 1. Let's just read a few verses from 1 to 5. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, he has cast out many nations before you. And we have all the names of the nations. There's exactly seven in numbers. The Hittites, the Girgesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall, number one, conquer them, and number two, utterly destroy them. How can loving God do such a thing? We have the answer, right? If you've been paying attention, part one, part two, you have the answer. Why he would do such a thing and destroy them, you shall make no covenant, no treaty, no peace pact, nothing, no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them at all cost, nothing whatsoever. Verse 3. Nor shall you make marriage with them. And it's just like God is prophesying here. He's saying, I'll be with you. I want you to conquer them and I want you to completely destroy them. But if you can't do this thing, at least, Please, don't intermarry with them. Right? Don't intermarry with them. You shall not make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son. Why? Verse 4 gives the answer. You are my special people, my special treasure, my peculiar people. But obey my voice. Obey my voice. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord we be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Don't intermarry with people that are mentioned here in the seven nations. Utterly, completely destroy them. Otherwise, there will be a trap for you. You will fall into their own religion. 
So I want you that so far, if you've been paying attention to part one, part two, you can see, we can, we can assume that you can put at the same light in a parallel order, marriages with the wrong people equal following the wrong religion. Just like that. And this theme is throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, 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 remember. Now, part one and part two. I want to do a little quick reviews, but I forgot. Can you help me out here? Anyone remember what did we cover, actually? What have you learned through part one, part two, if you remember anything? Speak up, if you know. Help me out here. What have you learned so far? Divorce in India is the lowest. Why? Arranged marriages, the social pressure on marriage. What is the highest one? Right. And why? They take tax haven for many people. Absolutely right. What's the second country with the highest divorce? Spain. Very good. So we live in the societies that there's no respect for marriage whatsoever. You can see in the statistics all over the place, everywhere. No matter what country it is, everywhere. What else we talk about it? God wants godly offspring. That's the intent of the marriage, right? So two people who are in, in covenant with God when they get married, the expectation is the godly offsprings, right? Absolutely perfect. Remember in part one we talked the consequences if we marry the wrong people? Remember that part? Remember we went to First Kings chapter 11, we talked about the Solomon, the wisest man on earth, and the mistake that he did, marry all these foreign women, having so many wives and so many concubines, and to each one, and to each one, he built a shrine so they could worship their own religion, and especially in his old age. Remember the names we talk about? Ahab? Do you remember Jezebel? And I think that in many Christian churches, if you had children, I don't think many people would actually love to name their children like Ahab or Jezebel, right? And why not? It's just the name, right? But the connotations, the association with the name is just the whole, so horrible. The people used to live thousands of years ago, but the heritage they lived after them through the Bible is just horrible. It's horrible. The advice, the advice, remember we talk about is it okay for us who are people under covenant, is it okay to marry somebody who is outside the covenant, to marry somebody who is unbeliever? Is it okay to do this thing? Does Bible giving us permission to do this thing? Yes, you can try. You can try it. And I'm not saying that you might not have a successful marriage. You might. It's possible. But if you study the history, most of the time, the statistics are not favorable to you. That's what I would say. That's what kind of advice I would give it to you. The statistics are not favorable. Most of the time, people who are committed to God, over the time, if they marry the wrong person, it would just slowly drift away from God, and especially when they have children. Now, remember the language about the mixed marriages when we talk, when we went and visited some scriptures like, you know, Ezra chapter 9. He called the mixed marriages, what did he call them? Remember the word? A trespass against God. A trespass, the language. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 13, this prophet called mixed marriages, he called it a great evil, a transgression. That's the language of the Bible. That's how they spoke about it. That's how so much they were upset about it. So if you're not married, keep in mind that the most decision you will ever make in your life is who's your spouse going to be. This is the most important decision they will ever make. Yes, your profession is good. What you're going to do, what you're going to work, what you're going to go to school, that's also important. But who you married will be the most important decision they will ever make. Will affect your life forever. Now, we talk about what was the purpose of marriage. We covered that. Now, remember we went to Genesis when God says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply, be fruitful. Remember that part? Most people look at this verse and think that it's just all about the, the quantity that I want to just fill with as many children as I can. It's not about quantity. It's also about the quality. It's not how many children we can produce, but how many godly offsprings we can produce who will be obedient, loyal, and loving God as a creator. That's another thing. 
We turn to Malachi chapter 2. We all remember that, the purpose of the marriage. Now, I asked some difficult question last time. You know, some of you take, you know, who took notes might remember them. I just want to run quickly through all of them so you can keep them in your mind. Just a refresher. Some difficult question we asked last week. Is every marriage on this earth joined by God? Right? Remember all those questions? Is every marriage on this earth joined by God? Is God the architect of your marriage? Did God join you together or did you join yourself together? Is it possible that not every marriage is blessed by God? Remember we said if you want our marriage to be blessed by God, God must approve our marriage first. There are no shortcuts. What I would like to do to do today for the rest of my time, I want to talk about the laws that govern the institution of marriage, and especially the laws that govern not just the institution of marriage, but the sexual activity. So as you can see, there is a plenty I can talk about marriage when it comes to this subject in the Bible. So that's what I would like to do for the rest of my time. If you turn your Bible to Jeremiah, that's the scriptures that actually was read by Brother Landon. There is a lot of wisdom inside the scripture. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. And just read the same scripture very slowly. Thus says the Lord. Even though it's out of context. But just, just two verses. Read it very slowly. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. No matter how smart, how intelligent you are. Don't glory in it. Don't don't take it for granted. You might be ahead of your friends, ahead of everybody around it. Don't glory in it. Let not the mighty man glory in his mind. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. No matter what kind of advantage you may have it above other people. Don't glory in it. But there is one thing you can take the glory. And here it is. One thing that you can take the glory. But let him who glories glory in this. And there it is. There's one thing. You can take it to the bank. That he understands and knows me. Do you know the mind? Do you know the heart of God? What's he requiring of you? Are you on the same page? The same will? Are you compatible? Do you have this thing? And keep reading. And he says that he understands and knows me. And he's even more. That I am the Lord Exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. Loving, this God is love, this love, this God is kind, but this God also provides judgment, and this guy is righteous, whatever he's done in the earth. For in this I delight, says the Lord. How are we doing? All these three categories. How far, how much we understand what our God is all, of, all about. Now, I want to concentrate here on this word righteousness. Just for a moment. As an introduction to my third part. You will see in a moment why. Righteousness. What does it mean, righteousness? And you know, for me, when English is not our first language, sometimes I have to play with the words to get the meaning what this word is supposed to be. You have to go to a Hebrew. You have to go to a Greek to really understand it. If I would split these words, these two words, let's say I would just leave it, God is right. To think for a moment. 
God is right. Can I add a few words here? I'll just let's say if I can add one word and just do it like this. God is always right. Would that be okay if I say it like that? Would I break the scripture if I say it like that? God is always right. Right, right? Very good. If God is always right, it means that only he can tell me what is right and what is wrong. Because me, as a human being, many times I am confused. What's right and what's wrong. And the only person to tell me is God, because why? He is always right. If we turn to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Psalms 119 and in verse 172. Psalms 119 and verse 172. It says, My tongue shall speak of your word. For all your commandments. Are right. Can I say it like that? All your commandments. Are right. So. Just give me a second here. To process this information. How many commandments. Are right. How many. All commandments, right? So, being a Christian, it depends where your influence came from. Look what we did so far. We divide this book to the old and to the new. As we make this division to the old and to the new, guess what we start to do? We have the preference, right? We say, oh, the new supersede the old, so... The new commandments having a greater value than the old commandments. Am I right? So far? Would you agree with me? That's how majority of Christians look at this thing. Majority of Christians. They say, oh, old is old, old is not for us. New one, that's what we should do. Okay. Now, in our culture here, we look at this so-called Old Testament and we like to divide it even farther. So let's say we will say, uh, this is the moral law. So the moral law that comes from, let's say, the Old Testament, this is abiding forever. But we have some ceremonial law, and we have some civil law. So once we start dividing this way, then we start to pick and choose what we think it applied to us, and what we think it doesn't apply to us. And because we live in a society that each of our governments, no matter what level, we change the law all the time. We elect our government to pass a new legislation, whether it be our Canadian Parliament or American House of Representatives or Senate. We can come up with a law that is steady for all the time. We need to amend it. We need to change it. There are constitutions. We need to amend it. If we apply the same logic into the Bible, then how can God be right all the time. I guess God needs to change his mind and change his law occasionally here or there because guess what? God made a mistake. When he recorded something here, God changed his mind so he needs to correct himself and put a different law in some other places. You see the reasoning where I'm going with it? So, I'll give you one example. Just the one. I can give you many, but just the one. Go to Deuteronomy. Chapter 25. And I pick an easy one. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Just one, one verse from here. Look at verse 4. Very short verse in the Bible. 
It says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Question. Is this one little commandment here? Is it done away? Where it belongs? Is it just belongs to the sacrificial law, to the civil law, it belongs to the moral law? Where would you divide? Where would this one little commandment? Where would you assign to which category? Is God done with this thing? Is we just disregard it because in the Old Testament? Just the one simple, one little example. Go to First Timothy chapter 5. The same verse here. It is in the New Testament. First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17-18. And look how this one verse from the Old Testament finds an application in, so to speak, the New Testament. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Look what he says. Well, look what Paul quotes here. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it's shredding out the grain. Wow, that's strange. I thought that this law doesn't have whatsoever any applications to us believers, to be believers in Christ, who put everything away on the cross. But Paul, for some reason, found an easy application from this one little law to here. And you know why we're doing this thing? Because we look at God's law as a regulation. Don't, 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 don't. Sometimes we need to look at God's law as a revelation. Revelations about what? About God's character. Does God really care about the animal? Does he really care about the ox who's doing a hard work at the threshing floor? When God is saying, don't be so cruel to this animal, let him just eat whatever he can. As long as it's working all day, whatever food it needs, let's just let him eat. If that's God's heart toward the animals, what do you think, what do you think is God's heart towards human beings who work for you? How you should reward them? You should cheat them out of your wages, of his wages, or her wages? Is that okay? But instead of looking at the rule and regulations, maybe we should spend more time looking at God's heart. What is God trying to tell us through this law about his heart? Why would righteous God, who is always right, give us a law that he knows that we cannot keep it, but in the end judge us for it? Think about it. How would righteous God do something like that? How would righteous God give us a law, knowing in advance that we, we will be incapable to keep it, but you know what? If you're incapable to keep it, I'll still judge you for it that you cannot keep it. Does that make any sense? So I'm going to go about this, love's marriage, and I'm going to do only on this thing from the perspective of the Hebrew Bible. Let's look together and let's see what is God trying to tell us about the institution of marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the subject of sex in general. What is God trying to tell us? And keep this thing in mind as we go, as we read some of this law. Keep this in your mind. God is always what? Right. Okay? God is always right. All right. Genesis 1. You don't need to go there because we covered the scripture so many times. But you can just write a note, Genesis 1, and verse 27 and 28. When God created male and female, right? Right at the beginning. So, we have a male and we have a female. Do you see anything else in the middle? Is there some other person in the middle that, let's say, be kind of like a he-she or she-he? You see that in the scripture. It's male as in the female. That's it. That's all the options, right? That's all the options. 
Now, maybe God, you know, make a mistake. So along the way, God flipped some pages. Maybe God changed his mind and said, you know what? Let's redefine the definition of marriage. Can you find something like that in the Bible that God said, let's redefine it? No. From the beginning to the end, there's no redefinition of, redefinition of marriage, right? So let's say, is it okay to say that marriage between a man and a man is okay? Is it okay to say it? Is it okay to say it, a woman and a woman? Do we have anything like that in the Bible? Is it okay to say it, that that's okay? Man, a man, and a woman, and a woman, right? Is it okay? No. Let's say, I like giraffes. Can I marry a giraffe? Can I have a sex with giraffe? Would God allow something like that? In this day and age, absolutely. Everybody says, hey, you're free. You can do whatever you want. What God has to say about all these things? Is it okay to marry an animal? Is it okay to have a sexual relation with an animal? Let's see, we'll go, to, we'll see, we'll, we'll cover some scriptures. So we know that marriage consists of one man and one woman, no exceptions. No exceptions. Now, some people come to the conclusion, wow, I got your point. I see. One man and one woman, that's great. Would God go further to define? Even with, if, if I'm a man, what kind of woman do I marry? Absolutely. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, let's, let's read here first five verses. 18 verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, so they were doing something horrible in the land of Egypt, right? So according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk with them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment, which which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So basically, you have the roots in the past. You're coming from a nation that been doing horrible evil. But I'm taking your future, I'm taking you into the nations, then doing even more evil. But you are my special people. And I will show you how to live a right way. Because I'm always right, I'll tell you how to do the right way. This is basically it. Now, just skip to verse 22, the same chapter. The same, you know, we're going to answer all these questions. If I think that I can marry, you know, let's say a woman, are there other qualifications there? Skip to verse 22. And it says right here, verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a man, as with a woman, it is an, look at the word. What's the word here say? It's an what? Abomination. It's an abomination. So basically God is saying, these people were doing the same thing before. These people, where are you going? I'm doing the same thing. And you know, for thousands of years, the same people have been doing the same thing over and over again. But now in 21st century, we have such a revelation. We have such a revelation that our prime minister last year in election, he says, I progress. I don't want to revisit this issue because I made up my mind and I know what's right. And this thing what we did, we define as a government, it's the right thing to do. And he said, I am progressive. You know what? They're not progressive. They're actually very regressive. You go all the way back, thousands of thousands of years back, this is the behavior that people use, that people actually had to to send the, the flood and all the other things. That's how people used to behave. And you call it, this is the right thing to do. No, it's not the right thing to do. Let's just keep reading. It's an abomination. Verse 23. Nor shall you make, nor, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself of it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. Look at the other word. It is a perversion. 
Do not defile yourself with any of these things. For by all this, the nations are defiled when I'm casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its inequity upon it, and the land vomits out inhabitants. You shall, therefore, keep my statutes and my judgment, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nations or any stranger who dwells among you. Think about it. Do we have any freedom, what we can pick and choose here? Is God trying to cut our fun? No. Our God is trying to preserve the next generation. Our God wants to have a healthy children who's going to love him, who will worship him. Now, look at verse 6. Go back to verse 6. Now we have another restrictions here, right? It's all spelled out here. Verse 6. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. Oh. So not just I have just no restrictions that as a, as a, as a male I can't marry another male. Now comes the family members. Okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Think about it. You know, I know that for many, for many, for many of us, just think, just, just think impossible. How can you have a sex with your own mother? But guess what? There are people out there who are actually doing this thing. This is perversion. This is abomination. The nakedness of your father, verse 8. Your father's wife you shall not uncover. It's your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere. Their nakedness you shall not uncover. We go in line and go farther and farther down the line. Verse 10, the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover. For there is your own nakedness. Verse 11, the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover her nakedness of your father's sister. She's, she's, she's near of kin to your father. And verse 13, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. Verse 14. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Verse 15. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Verse 16. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. And we can on and on and on. Specific rules. Specific regulation. Why is God trying to do this thing? Is God trying to stop us so we don't have all this fun? So we don't have this recreational sex that we call it today? No, because he wants us to keep us healthy. He wants us to have a healthy generations of children who will know what is right and what is right and what is wrong and to boast about it. Not how strong I am, not how wise I am, but how well I know God and how well I know his heart when it comes to God's law. Now, as I said, do we have a permission to change the definition of marriage? No. Another question. How important is virginity in the Bible? Can you put, can you put a price on virginity in the Bible? Yes, you can. How important was that to God? Great importance. Let me ask you this question. How important is this today in our society? Young people, is virginity important today? Do you, absolutely. Do they actually, the educator try to teach you how great is abstinence till you get married? No, go have fun as long as you protect yourself. What do you think on average, young people in high school, how many sexual partners do they have? Shoot, any numbers. Fifteen. Fifteen. Between the ages of 13 and 17. And you want to have a godly family? Do 
Deuteronomy chapter 22. How important is virginity? Deuteronomy chapter 22. And verse 13 to 21. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad, bad name on her and says, look how important this thing is. I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Do we care about this thing today? If my future wife is virgin, if my future man is virgin, do we care about this thing today? Do we put it on a scale on our list, how important this thing is? Then the father, verse 15, and mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elder, I gave my daughter to this man as wife, and he detested her. Now, he has charged her with shameful conduct, shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. And yet, these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city, of that city, shall take that man and punish him. And remember, as you read these verses, keep in mind, God is always right. Or God is not what he's doing. No matter what the circumstances, God always knows when, how to do the right thing. Okay? Before you come into a judgment, and say how outdated this law is or whatever it is. Just think about it. God is always right. Just read it. They shall find him 100 shekels of silver and give, and, and give them to the father of the young woman because he has, brought a, he has brought a bad name on the Virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her for all his days. Verse 20. But if this thing is true, if this thing is true, and evidence of virginity are not found for the young woman, that they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel, to play the harlot in her father's house, so you shall put away the evil from among you. Do you think this penalty, this penalty is harsh? Do you think that God is not, God is not knowing what he's doing? It might seem to us, right? So unfair. This is so unfair, and especially for the young lady. How come the God, you know, guy get, you know, he escapes, and the woman gets to punish so harsh? Hold on, let's just go back. A few points here. They wanna, they don't wanna make her. Dependently for men. Hundred shekel of silver. Has anyone checked how much that would be? Hundred shekel of silver. Hundred shekel of silver. Let me give you some statistics. I can prove it because you know over thousands of years. But I actually tried. I, I spent a great number of my time trying to figure it out. Hundred shekel of silver. So it says an annual salary for let's say an average annual salary for let's say like a shepherd in the Middle East. It was about 1800s BC. Okay, was ten shekel a year. Ten shekel a year. If you bring the wrong accusation against the women of Israel, the punishment for it, I'm talking average. You gotta work for ten years to pay the father for your accusations that you bring against this lady. Ten years. I'm talking working all the time, not covering your own expenses. Just paying the penalty. I said, Virginity has a price. Virginity has a great price. Now, the other point, as I said, look from this at this point. God is always right. God is always right. Okay? The other point, he says to the man, if you make this accusation against this woman, he says, 
You can never ever get rid of her. Never ever. No matter what she does to you, you're stuck with her. So before you make accusations, you make sure that you have the right mind. Before you throw out the words there and try to accuse, you might be stuck with this woman for the rest of your life no matter what she does to you. And you need to take care of it. Now, the other question, because this is so unfair. Ladies, would you like to marry a guy like that? Who's trying to teach you to cheat you on the first night? Would you like to be stuck with a guy like that for the rest of your life? Hold on. God is right. God is right. God is always right. Just think on a good thing, good side of the part. Don't try to think that God's law is so unjust. It's so unfair. And especially against the women. Hold on, we'll come to that. We'll come to that answer very soon, okay? Now, if we believe that we only abide by the new covenant, or let's say we only abide by the new testament, and the old testament doesn't matter anymore, so I'll ask you a question. What about sex before marriage? What about sex before marriage? Can you point to, can you point me to a New Testament scripture that would answer my question? Please. Or if we pick and choose, forget it, we lost. But God is always right. God doesn't need to change his mind. God doesn't need to repent. God doesn't have to say, hey, I need to amend my loss now. Because, you know, in the process of time, in 21st centuries, oh, my law might apply a little bit different. Because we as a people look at some sin a little bit differently. We are much softer than we used to be. Because we see it all over the place. Is that the case? Let's look at Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. Exodus chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. If a man entice a virgin who is not betrothed, is not in jail, is not engaged, just a virgin, and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bright price for her to be his wife. And verse 17. If her father actually refused to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bright price of virgin. When I ask you a question, lady, would you marry a guy like that? It's all about the relationship. Do you think your father would give you out just like that? Whatever the man did to you. If, if your father loves you and you love your father, you probably say, you know what? I just don't want to see this guy anymore. Get away from him. The beauty of the law, the father got always the final say. But this guy here in this case, he needs to pay the bright, uh, he needs to pay a bright price. This is again, this is a price for taking on virginity. Virginity got a high value in the Hebrew Bible. Very high value. What is the, what is the bright price? How much is that? Don't worry, we'll find out. We'll find out very soon. So, the message for us. If you as a man or a boy, if you see a nice lady, you decided to sleep with her, guess what? You marry. And you need to pay. You need to pay to the father and you married already. That's what happens sex before marriage. That's what the scripture says. Let's say, let's, let's, we're going to answer this price. What's the price for, for a bright, bright price? But before we go there, there is another possibility. What about cheating on your spouse? When you're actually married, what about when you cheat on your wife? In today's society, no problem. You can do whatever you want to do. There's no criminal court that's going to, call, that's going to punish you. But what about the mind of God? God is always right. Okay? God is always right. Leviticus chapter 20. 
Leviticus chapter 20. How are we doing so far? Is it boring? Are you okay? You awake? Not falling asleep? Need a little break? Now you okay? Leviticus chapter 20. Look at verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, so he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. Sex before marriage, you get married. If you break the marriage covenant, it's death penalty. That's how God looks at it. That's how serious it is. What about some other relationship? Look what's happened. Verse, verse 11 here to 13. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his, his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Verse 12. If a man lies with his daughter's-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. First indeed. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be surely put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Verse 15. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. And you shall kill the animal too. Verse 16, if a woman approach any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. I can go on and on. Do we need a clarification? This is verses so far. Do you need my explanations here, what we just read? Is it clear? Does God change his mind? How about Christ? Maybe Christ changed his mind because he's more loving, he's more open, right? It's all about love, 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 right? Do we see anything in the new, in the new? Testament, something like that, that would allow behavior like that? Never ever, right. What about rape? Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Look at verse 28 and 29. Deuteronomy chapter 22. 28 and 29. Verse 28, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, but who is not betrothed, and he sees her and lies with her, and they are fight out. Verse 29, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young man, shall give to the young woman's father 50 shackle of silver, and she shall be his wife, because she has humbled her, he shall not be permitted to divorce her for all his days. Would you be married to a guy who raped you? Your debt has a final say. You still have to pay. Fifty shackles. How many years do you need to work to pay for this act? How many years? Five. Hundred shackles, ten years, right? On average. Imagine now average salary in Canada. Average salary in Canada for 2019 is just over $50,000. Put in this perspective. If I take the virginity of a lady, if I have to pay 100 shackles, that's a half a million dollars. I'll be working for a long time to pay this thing to the father of the young woman. Do we see this today in such a numbers like that? Do they speak to our mind? Hey, it's just sex. Who cares? Who cares about virginity? Virginity has a price. Now, just look at here. In verse 23, the same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 22, look at verse 23. And this is very interesting. I couldn't believe it when, you know, like sometimes we read the passages for song, but sometimes just, you know, just standing in your eyes, you just believe it like, I couldn't see it before. Verse 23, if a young woman, there is a difference here, okay? If the young woman who is virgin 
but is betrothed to a husband. So they married already. They're married. They never had a sex. She's a virgin, and this woman is raped. Okay? And a, man, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both, both out to the gates of the city, and you shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. He humbled his neighbor's wife. So she's referred to him as his wife. They were only engaged. They never have any sexual relationship. According to God's side, according to God's side, they're already married. This is how it is. This is how serious it is, right? So you shall put away their evil from among you. The woman was in the city. She was supposed to cry for help. But she did. But now if a man finds a betrothed woman, young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the men who lay with, with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of that. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is in this, this mother. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. Why is this so important? Point number one. As I said here, the betrothed period was already considered as a covenant of marriage. That's point number one. And point number two. The, med, the penalty for this man who violated this covenant, right? The penalty for this man who violated this covenant, look what God says here at the end of verse 24. No, actually the verse 26. So he says about the young lady that no sin deserve of death. And look, but look for the, for the man. Look how God treats when you as a man you rape a woman who is already married. Look what that penalty. Would how God look at you, at your sin, from the from the criminal point of view. Look what He look at this. A man rises against his neighbor and kills him. Basically, He says this is a punishment. It's just like killing another human being. This is how serious it is. If you rape a woman who is already married, God looks at you as a dead man already. And he treats you under the criminal, his law, as a, as a somebody who killed another human being. I missed this thing. This is how serious it is. So, I want you to see the distinction. Sex before covenant and sex after covenant. There is a difference. Sex before marriage and sex when you're in covenant. A big difference. And I want you to remember that. Don't treat it so lightly. Now here, there is so much I can talk about it, but I don't have time. So maybe I'll have to come up with part four. <clears throat> there is another fascinating law here in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Also skipped my attention for so many years. But I want you to read it. Deuteronomy chapter 21. And we'll be here in verse... Verse 10 to 14. So when you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord God delivers them into your hand and you take them captive. Just stop here for a second here. Don't confuse this verse what you read in Deuteronomy chapter 7. The seven nations, what was the, what was the command? Actually destroy them. Conquer them and destroy them. No marriage at all. No nothing. Here God is talking about the other nations. He says, if I ever give you this nation to conquer, this is what you allowed to do. Okay? Let's read it. And you see, verse 11, And you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and desire her, and would take her for your wife. Then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house, and more her father and her mother. It doesn't say about her husband. She's a virgin. She is a young. More her father and her mother, not her husband, for a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband 
and she shall be your wife. I'll just keep reading. And it shall be, if I have no delight in her, then you shall set her free. You can treat it as a slave. You can sell her to the other nations. You took her as their wife. If, if you shall set her free. But you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally because you have humbled her. I wonder how many men would look at this and say, you shall not treat her brutally. God is always right. God is always right. Some people would say that Old Testament, there is no mercy for women. Actually, there is a lot of mercy for women. A lot of mercy for women in the Old Testament. When you really study the Torah and try to see what God means, what God, God's heart, God's love for women. Now, there is another Exodus chapter 21. Just to expand on this thought. Exodus chapter 21. And we're almost coming to an end here. Exodus chapter 21. Let give me the context first so we know what I'm, what we're speaking about. So let's read verses 1 through 6 first. Exodus chapter 21, 1 to 6. Now steer the judgment which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. In the seven, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes, if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he, if he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. Verse 4, if his master has given him a wife and, he has, and, and, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if the servants plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, and I love my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, he shall also bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So we have the context. And you know, in 21st centuries, you know, it's not a nice connotation when you lead like slave and slavery and all those things. It just brings up red meanings, you know. But it was the normal standard at the time when Moses wrote these words. Every nation's practiced it. There was no such thing as bankruptcy back then. If you cannot repay your debt, somebody in the family would have to serve it. Somebody in the family would have to work for it. That's why God made a special prohibition because he loves his people so much. He said, they shall only work till the seven year. At the seven year, they should go free if they are Hebrew people. There is a stipulation. God is always right. Now just keep reading about the women now. I love this passage here. And you lady thinks that you have don't that you have no more rights, you have no rights under the let's call it the old testament. Just read it carefully here, okay? Look what it says here, verse seven. And if a man sell his daughter to a female slave, she shall not go out as the male serve slaves do. And you say, What a father for sell his daughter as a slave? You know, we have a horrible connotation. I'm, as I'm telling you. Sometimes that was the only option in the family. If the father would have to go and try to repay the debt, the whole family would collapse. They had to make a drastic decision. Who's going to go and work? Who's going to go and repay the debt? Sometimes it was the daughter. Sometimes it was the son. It depends. If father would say that, you know, there is a guy who I know him, and he's a man who actually can marry this daughter, we can have a partial solution here, Okay. So don't look at this thing from your perspective and say, you know, oh, what a horrible God was back then, okay? Because we come across the words like slave and slavery and all these things. You know what? We are slaves today as these people were back then. If you don't believe me, stop paying your mortgage. Stop paying your current car, car, car payments. Stop paying your credit cards. And you see how long you're going to go. See, we today, we were way harder than people before us. Why? 
because we have so much debt on our back, we just can't manage. To say that, you know, like, I am free today. Yeah, I'm a free man. But you know what? Sorry, I can't miss day at work on Monday. I can't miss it. Because if I miss this one day, my whole payments to the last, everything's going to be screwed up. I can't afford it. Congratulations, you are very free man. You are very free man. Congrats to you. Well done, servant. Don't fool yourself. Okay? Keep reading there. Verse 8. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. If there is any relative, as one of kin, he can redeem her. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. There is other possibility. And if he has betrothed his her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters, not the slaves, a custom of daughters. And look, verse 10. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. Three things. Your food, your clothes, and your married, and, and, and your married rights. If husband tried to take away something from you, look what God says. And if he does not do these things for her, then she shall go out free without paying any money. That is canceled. Forget it. It's done. You're free. God doesn't have mercy on women? In the Old Testament? Yes, he does. There is a lot of mercy. Because why? God is always right. God is always right. So... I guess I'll have to do part four. We live in a society with no respect for virginity. We have no respect for marriage. We went so deep that our government here in Canada redefined what the marriage is. And to the point that many Christian churches, quote and unquote, I'm using this Christian churches, even accepting this definition and running with it. Is there a solution? Absolutely there is. Can we do something about it? Yes, we can. How? Teach everyone. Hold everybody to the higher standard. Don't adopt the pagan traditions that are out there across the street. Left by this word of God. And then maybe your neighbor will see like, wow, I see you have a wonderful family. How do you do this thing? Have you ever cheated on your wife? No. Really? How long have you been married? 30, you have never cheated on your wife for 30 years. Why would I? What about ladies? There's not many people like us here today. Not many. But they're still in existence. So brethren... Please study it when you go home. Take it to your heart. Whatever scriptures you study, and especially in the Hebrew Bible, try to look from a different perspective. Instead, try to look at this, what is God wants me or God doesn't want me to do? Try to look at this God's law. What is God trying to reveal himself to me? What is God trying to reveal to me through his law? And amazing results will happen. So, brethren, may God best bless you all, and thank you for being patient with my part three. We'll see if you have our discussions later on. If you're interested, we'll come up with part four, because there are still a lot of things to say in, you know, in other parts. So, so we'll see. Thank you for our audience who are watching us online. At this time, I'll ask you all to stand and do a prayer. Oh, loving God, our Father, thank you, Father, for giving us this Sabbath day, this holy institution, Father, that you created at the beginning of the creation. And right after this institution of Sabbath, 
came the institution of marriage. The two sacred institutions that no, no one has any regard whatsoever, whatsoever in these days. But Father, we are thankful that you revealed to us how much you love this thing. How much you are committed to this thing. How much you stand by it. Father, help us. Help us to guide our young children, our young adults here in our church, in other congregations, to live this pure and clean life, fully dedicated themselves to you and their bodies to the future husbands and wives. Father, we have some marriages here in our congregation. They've been lasting for years. We either ask you, and we please ask you, Father, just to bless us even more, to enhance the relationship that we have with one another in the marriage context, to help us, other, help us to live, help us to show us to other people, to, to our neighbors, teach them what the marriage is supposed to be all about. And, Father, in the end, we trust you, and we know that your word will always stand, Forever, We know, Father, that you always write. And, you know, sometimes we boast among many things, Father. But in hope we pray that from now on, if you're ever going to boast, we're going to boast that we, Father, know you and we fully understand what lays at your heart. Father, we praise you. Holy name. We bless you, holy name. Father, I ask you all these things in other name, but Jesus Christ's name. Amen.